parable of the sower. We've gone through that. Last week, the parable of the, the wheat and the tares. And Jesus continues in his parables of the kingdom, again using the analogy of the seed and planting. And I'm going to combine the next two parables together because they just naturally go together. And they are the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. Or sometimes we would use the word yeast. It's that element that you put in uh, flour to cause that dough to rise. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. He gave them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, <clears throat> it is the greatest garden plant and becomes a tree, so that the wild birds come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. By the way, three measures of flour is probably about a barrel this size. It's a lot. And so there are the two parables, the parable of the uh, mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. These parables are an assurance from the Lord of the triumphant growth of the kingdom of heaven from small beginnings. Because the last parable that he had told, and this is a, this is a series of teachings he's giving all in one, one gathering. The thing he had just told them about the parable of the tares growing up with the wheat could have left the people discouraged because what Jesus did was he basically, in that parable, had admitted that his, he considers the world his kingdom. He doesn't look at it as the church is my kingdom and the devil has the world. He sees the devil as, as having maneuvered through man's sin into a position of usurping the authority that belongs to God. And so the Lord absolutely thinks of the world as his. And in the kingdom of God is basically his plan to retake the world. So he has shared that in his kingdom, the broader kingdom, the world, that there are indeed both good and evil. He considers it his kingdom, but not everything in his kingdom is good. There's evil in his kingdom. There's flaws in his kingdom. <clears throat> that encourages me and lets me know that the manager, the king, the lord of this kingdom is able to tolerate for the time being and put up with the imperfections, even the so seed sown by Satan, because he knows in his plan he will prevail in the end. That is encouraging for people who feel they need to have a perfect church to be a Christian. They need to have a perfect family or a perfect walk to be a Christian. <clears throat> That's encouraging to me because it makes me know that when I look in the mirror and see myself, and, and I'm crying out to the Lord from my heart, like Antonio cried out from his heart this morning, that the kingdom of God is still solid and bright and emerging in the midst of me. Jesus is, is not nervous. He is able to prevail, hallelujah, and reign over a kingdom that is fraught with imperfections. So the whole purpose of the parable of the mustard seed in the parable of 11 is to assure us, stay steady, don't be discouraged. 
My kingdom shall triumph from a small beginning. Let's start first by talking about planting because the Lord is once again using the idea of sowing or planting when he talks about installing his kingdom wherever it is he installs it. In Romans 4 and 17, we're probably familiar with when Paul writes, For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. So let me say to you, in establishing our first fact this morning, that concerning sowing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God grows out of people's lives. It doesn't grow out of churches. It doesn't grow out of seminaries. It grows out of your life, out of your heart. That's where the kingdom is really planted. Both the field of the mustard seed parable and the leaven of the parable of the leaven refer to the hearts of men, not institutions, not churches, but refers to the hearts of men. So in the parable of the leaven and in the parable of the mustard seed, it's your heart that he's talking about. Your life is where the sowing is taking place, no matter what's happening in the world around you. And let me say this as, as we make this point about the kingdom being sown in you, because the tendency might be to get nervous and say, wow, you know, I'm not a really ultra-faithful person, or I'm not a super-intelligent, or I'm not a strong person. I tend to, you know, I tend to weaken under trials, and so we might think the kingdom of God is not in very good hands if it's being sown in me. But I want you to know that the kingdom of God will grow in you, regardless of how huge the resistance that's organized against you or how small the support that surrounds you. It doesn't matter. When Christians feel isolated and nobody cares, nobody from church has called them up and everyone's forgotten them and they're feeling not very supported, the kingdom of God will still grow in you. Amen. No matter how small that external support or the huge obstacle or mountain before you that you face. You see yourself as a small little planting, but the Bible says not to worry. The kingdom of God doesn't need small resistance and big support. It can operate against big resistance with little support. In fact, the kingdom of God doesn't need any support. It only needs your determination to let God work in your life. That's all it takes. Hallelujah. So, let's just sum up this first point and say that the kingdom of God, or Jesus in the parable in Matthew called it the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. The kingdom of heaven comes by planting and growing, not by planning and building. Now, I'm a pastor. I believe in planning, and I believe in building. And I would probably, I would probably get some comments from most pastors if they heard what I just said. But we have to be honest. The kingdom of God, now maybe the religious institutions of the church may be different, but the kingdom of God comes through planting and growing, not by planning and by building. You can have the best plans and you could build and have the money and do all these great things 
but it's not going to advance the kingdom of God not one inch, not one pound. It's not going to cause the kingdom of God to expand at all. Everything that happens in the kingdom of God happens in your heart. And it is advanced by the word of God being planted in you and through your faith and obedience allowing God to grow, grow you in his kingdom. So here's some advice for Faith Christian Church this morning. And here's some advice, quite frankly, for all churches and all organizations that want to grow and want to prevail. Here's the advice. You ready for it? Find people's lives in whom the kingdom is growing and then plan and build around them. You see, Hollywood completely had it wrong. It's not build it and they will come. That's not how Jesus operated. He was the eternal word planted in the world. Hallelujah. It's plant and grow. The people will come to the kingdom through the planting and the growing. So <clears throat> if our church wants to succeed, if your family wants to succeed, if in any endeavor in your life you want to prevail, here's some advice for you. Find somebody, and it may be you. Find the person in whom the kingdom of God is growing and work your plans around them. Support them. Do your building around them because that's where all the growth is taking place. Somebody say amen. Now let's talk about small beginnings. The next fact that comes out of both of these parables, the mustard seed that was tiny and was planted, it became like a tree, it grew up so big, or the leaven where the the leaven was planted in the three measures of meal and they expanded. Both of these deal with the idea of small, difficult, hard, sometimes harsh, and let me add sometimes long, drawn-out beginnings. I planted a tangerine tree in my yard many years ago. I gave it to my wife as a birthday present. I was about to rip it out of the ground <laughs> after well over 10 years and it did not produce any fruit. I didn't know that a tangerine tree could have a 10-year beginning. I had no idea that a tangerine tree, that tree grew physically, but never produced any fruit. And I thought, that tangerine tree is probably feeling ashamed of itself. You know, every harvest season, there's all the other trees, and it's sitting there, no fruit. Oh, yeah, no fruit again, that champlain tree over there. Year 10, no fruit. It's still beginning. I think that tree was begging me to chop it down because it took, couldn't take the shame anymore. Small beginnings. God always chooses small beginnings. He always chooses small beginnings. He never uses the build it and they will come method. He always plants himself in you, where all the difficulty, all the smallness, all the obscurity, all the tough circumstances are there. Praise the Lord. Because it's His kingdom and He knows what's going to happen if He finds faith in a heart. So the smallness of your beginning and the enormity of your challenges don't matter in the kingdom of God. You want to know why? Because the seed possesses the growth. The seed of the Word of God is the thing that's got all the grow in it. Amen. I'm going to say it again to you. It's so simple. It could, 
you can just take it as like a little preachism. Please don't take it as a preachism. Hear what I'm saying. It doesn't matter how tough you're beginning, how small, how obscure. Don't consider it. Don't even pay attention to it. Because the seed of the kingdom, the word of God that is planted in you, has the grow in itself. You don't even have to be fertile. You don't have to have a lot of helper. You just have to have willingness. God said, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. I will cause growth to come out of you. You'll eat, hallelujah, the streams will pop up in the desert because you let me build my kingdom in you. Don't consider your obscurity, your insignificance, or the toughness of your circumstances. Hallelujah. The seed of the kingdom in you was first planted in the despised province of Galilee, not in the rich religious culture of Judea, but up north where the Galileans were hated by all the religious Jews. It was first planted in Galilee. Then it was rejected by religious authorities after being examined, mocked by political leaders, forsaken by all but a few, and then died the shameful death of a failure on the cross. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, he died as a failure? His death was shameful to the point that even he despised the shame of it because it was the death of a man who had failed, a man who had claimed to be king, a man who had, even though he had performed all those miracles, he failed to make a connection with the people that mattered. He failed to convince the ruling class that he was the one. They rejected him, and so there he was. He was hung up on that cross, and he died as a failure. The whole time knowing he was not a failure, but he was dying for your failures. Hallelujah, to bring victory to you. I want you to remember... Forget your obscurity. Forget your insignificance. Forget the toughness of your circumstances, no matter what you're going through, because the seed in you came out of that Galilee, was rejected by the religious leaders, hallelujah, and was put up on that cross, but then, hallelujah, it sprang to life. Three days later, and a few people became thousands of people, and within one generation of Jesus rising from the <coughs> dead, his kingdom had spread from Jerusalem to India, from Africa to Britannia, and it encircled the world within one generation. Some of the people that were the yeast that touched others were slaves. Some were kings, some were soldiers, some were children, some were wives. But they were all simple people who had received the kingdom of God. And every one of them, I guarantee you, looked upon themselves and said, I ain't doing nothing. I'm insignificant. I'm not doing anything. I guarantee you that most of those Christians probably died thinking I never fulfilled my ministry. Very few of them could say, as Paul did, I've run my course. I've run my race. I've completed my course. I think most of them died thinking I didn't even get started. I didn't fulfill all that God gave to me, but they didn't realize they were part of a great growing and expanding tree 
that was going to provide shelter for all of the nations of the world, like the birds coming and sheltering in its branches. For the Bible says that when that plant grows up, it becomes a tree. Now, Jesus knew that a mustard plant is not a tree. He knows that a mustard plant is simply a garden plant. Let me, let me read to you again the exact wording. <clears throat> it is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is the greatest garden plant and becomes a tree. So Jesus was using excessive hyperbole. When he referred to the great garden plant of mustard as a tree, what was he saying? He's saying it might as well be a tree because it's as big as a tree. It acts like a tree. It's only a plant, but it has fully, fully grown to its greatest um, uh, uh, state and it sits in the office of a tree. God's plan for your life is that you sit in an office whose shoes are too big for your feet to fill. God's plan for you is that you provide cover and refuge that only trees are big enough to provide, but you are still just a garden plant. Greater, 1 John 4 and 4 says, is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remember, remember, little mustard seed bearer, that the tree of life is growing in you. The tree of life is growing in you. Praise the Lord. Amen. You know, the kingdom of God to retake the world has only to convert your heart and your thoughts. It doesn't have to change the world. It just has to change your thoughts. And it'll take care of itself. Hallelujah. The future of mankind is growing in you. Think about that the next time you go through a trial. Think about that the next time you're tempted to think that you're obscure or your obstacles are too great. Consider the fact that the future of mankind is growing in you and you are part of that great tree. Hallelujah. That is expanding. Somebody say praise the Lord. Let me, um, let me take the last couple minutes and talk for just a moment about the leaven. It says that he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven's like leaven, that a woman took and, I like that word, mixed. She took leaven, everyone say leaven, and mixed, everyone say mixed, and mixed it with three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. Three measures of flour, again, it's like a big oil drum full of flour. It's big. Now, if the mustard seed parable represents the external expansion of the kingdom of God, then the leaven parable represents the internal expansion of the kingdom of God. And leaven, most of you are probably thinking Fleischmann's yeast, you ladies get that stuff when you have to bake bread, you get that flour. You know, if you don't put yeast in it, and yeast interacts with the, with the flower <coughs> and it releases gases that cause it to expand so that when it's baked in the oven, it becomes much larger than it is. But in its largeness, it's got that air in it that makes it edible. Otherwise, you know what you take out of the oven? Of the oven? A stone. You forget to put the yeast in, you're going to bake a rock. 
Nobody wants to eat a rock. It'll be the same size it was when you put it in. You'll take it out, it'll be the same size and uneditable. uneditable. By the way, can I say to you, that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, ask God for the Holy Spirit. Because if you ask your Father for bread, he will not give you what? He won't give you a stone. In other words, God has no intention whatsoever of working in your life and leaving you a stone. He is leavening you. He is filling you with His Spirit and with His Word, and He is making you beautiful and large, hallelujah, and light and filled with nutrition that people can eat, glory to God. So when you ask your Father, He's not going to work in your life, and you're just going to remain a dead rock. You are going to be a walking, talking hunk of living bread. I feel an Elvis song coming on. Walk and talk a hunk of living bread. All right, so at any rate, um, when you think about yeast, you probably think of those little packets that you sprinkle in. Back in Jesus' day, when this was written, that's not what leaven was. I don't know how they originally gassed the dough, but leaven was a piece of yesterday's leavened dough that was saved over to the next day and put in tomorrow's or put in today's unleavened barrel of dough or barrel, barrel of flour and put, hidden in there and mixed in there and then just left until it had absolutely transformed that entire barrel and all of it. You see, it just spreads. You can't keep it in you. It just spreads out. And so leaven is somebody that has been leavened, just a little one, you don't need a lot, just a little leaven, a little piece of leaven dough stuck in unleavened flour and it leavens everybody else. The word of God was Jesus, the living word, planted in you. And look, he's growing, he's multiplying in you until your whole life is consumed with him. And then he takes you, a little piece of leaven, and he puts you among unleavened sinners, unsafe people. Glory to God. And he, whoever the Lord has mixed you with, expect them to become leavened. Because that's exactly what he does. You know, I was the first one in my family to become a Christian, to get saved, to become born again. And uh, my family didn't understand. I, you know, I don't want to go into it. I, my, some of my family members may hear this message. They don't want to hear me bad-mouthing them. But uh, I'm just going to say to you that... Uh, um, I, I grew up in a wonderful family, an awesome family, great mom and dad, brother and sister, I had a wonderful uh, upbringing, but, you know, we weren't saved, we weren't Christians. So when I first got saved, um, I got a little persecuted by my mother, they didn't understand what I was doing in my life, but you know, I was that little piece of dough, leavened, and today, my whole family's saved. Everybody's saved. Everybody's born again. Been born again. Been saved for years. They love the Lord. Openly profess Him. Openly talk about Him. Hallelujah. You, that's God's plan. Is that... And, and listen. <coughs> so many of us, we look at ourselves and we think, 
how can people get saved because of me or because of my testimony? Because it isn't really just your testimony. It is the presence of the leaven. It's the presence of the risen one that has made you rise. You see, you're a piece of risen dough filled with that precious Holy Spirit. And the Bible promises that out of you will flow rivers of living water. Out of you will come that expanding quality of the Spirit. And so when you look at yourself, don't discount yourself. Don't look at the smallness or despise the littleness of yourself or your, your, uh, your, your uh, uh, traits in your life. Just let the Lord mix you with who He's mixing you with. And watch them get saved too. That's how God saves families, communities, nations. That's how God causes whole societies to be transformed. Not everyone's going to get saved, but God mixes you with the people he mixes you with. So expect them to be leavened by your presence in their life. Amen? So it speaks of the ability of the Lordship of Jesus to transform you and then through you to transform those with whom he mixes you. So as I was thinking about this, I thought of the scripture, Isaiah 9 and 7, that says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever and the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall accomplish this. The Lord has no intention of finding college graduates and those in whose yearbook it was written concerning them most likely to succeed. He's not looking for champions among men. He is looking simply for the garden that will receive the seed, the soil that will take the little mustard seed. He's looking for that flower that's willing to have a little piece of leaven put into it until itself begins to expand and becomes risen dough. Hallelujah. And what causes that growth? Jesus causes the growth. He is the one who has the zeal of the Lord and it says there's no end to the increase of his government. There's no end to the increase of his peace. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. I've oftentimes wondered after being a Christian for many decades and seen a lot of different things, successes, failures, and I've watched both the glorious aspects of the body of Christ and I've seen the underbelly and all the nastiness. I've, I've experienced and personally witnessed all the reasons why people quit church and say, I'm never going to be involved with Christians again. I've not only witnessed it and seen it, I've been a part of it. I've been a victim of it. I've watched it happen. The betrayals, the bad character, all of these things. Every reason to despise the day of small things. Every reason to want to quit. And if it were up to my zeal, I would have stopped being an outward Christian. I would have stopped being a professing Christian. I would have quit being a, a vocal testimony for the Lord a long time ago. But I've, I've wondered even about my own self. Why do I just keep going year after year, decade after decade? Why do none of these external things matter to me? 
because I know that if it's not true about anyone else, I know it's true about me. That which was spoken in Isaiah 9 and 7, there is no end to the increase of His government of peace and the zeal of the Lord of hosts is accomplishing it. I'm a victim of the zeal of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm a victim of His zeal. Every time I want to quit, He gets excited. Every time I feel small, He gets turned on. Every time I'm turned off, He's stoked. Hallelujah. The zeal of the Lord is the yeast. Hallelujah. In your soul, in your life. Glory to God. You have to work at getting rid of Him. Hallelujah. I'm just trying to show you this morning that Philippians 2.13 is true. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to do His good plan. Why do I keep wanting this? Because God in me is zealous for it. That's why. Why do I still believe that great things lie ahead? Because God in me thinks great things lie ahead. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. I had a... Um, I had a close Christian friend of mine who, who I followed his communications <clears throat> a couple of times reach out and communicate that he was absolutely appalled by all of these positive prophecies about the last days and about the days that we live in, that revival was coming and there was an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And instead he said, that's ridiculous, that's nonsense. It's going to get worse, it's not going to get better. People are going to fall away. They're not going to come to Jesus. Christians' hearts are going to get cold and they're going to turn inwards and people aren't going to want the move of the Spirit. That was yesterday. The church is rejecting the move of God. And inside of me, every time I'd read it, I wanted to strangle, I have to admit it, I wanted to just strangle him because I saw his thinking as a disease. It was a condition that had, that had lost sight of the yeast. Because I watch the same news reports he does. I live in the same world he does. I am aware of the nuttiness and the craziness. I see all the failings of the Christians. I see all of it up close. I mean, nobody sees that stuff more than a pastor does. Nobody's aware of that stuff more than a pastor. Nobody gets the phone calls where people are like telling you what's really going on. You say, oh God, oh Jesus. Thank God. I, I can't believe you love us, Lord. How are you going to make this work? Because people are trying their best. God's people are trying their best to shoot this boat full of holes. So I saw all those things that my friend had seen. But you know, I can't stop believing that revival is one praise away. That an outpouring of the Holy Ghost is right around the corner. That our best moments are about to take place. And that even though my hair is gray, and I started pastoring when I was 20 years old, pioneered my first church when I was 20 years old, just a kid, couldn't grow any facial hair, but we grew a great church, praise the Lord. And the Lord did it. It was the zeal of the Lord. And so now I don't have as much energy as I did then, perhaps, physically speaking. Um, and um, all of those things and those contrasts and comparisons but why do I still see the zeal? Because the yeast is working and I can't help it. See, it's God who's at work in you. And that's what Jesus was trying to say in this parable. The kingdom of God is like 
a piece of leavened dough that is put in. Don't stop letting the Lord insert you into that barrel, that three measures of flour. <coughs> don't take yourself out of the Lord's hands. I don't care how old you are, how small you are, how difficult or any of those other things, the kingdom of God in you is going to break out. Just get yourself out there where it can do some good. Somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The triumph of Jesus' lordship from small, difficult beginnings to victorious retaking of the world in love, peace, and righteousness is what's really working in you when you go through trials. The drama of your life isn't the financial problem or the relationship that you're struggling with or the fact that people aren't paying attention or that you're wrestling with your own shortcomings. Those might be the immediate conditions of the trial that you're going through. But child of God, lift your head up like the great periscope of a submarine. Get up above, get it up above the surface and look at what's really going on. Because whatever you're dealing with in your life, what's really, really happening in you is the triumph of Jesus over small, difficult things and the retaking of the world. You are part of God's strategic battle to retake the world. Hallelujah. Amen. To overturn the circumstances of Adam's sin and the kingdoms of our Lord, I mean the kingdoms of the world are going to be laid at His feet. Hallelujah. And the announcement's going to be made one day. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And every time you go through something, you're part of that pronouncement. You're part of the Lord retaking the world. Somebody say amen. amen. And if you doubt that for a minute, let me share with you three quick little verses that illustrate that that's what's really happening in your life. That no matter what you're going through, God is at work in you. You're not getting bitter. You are getting better. Psalm 126.5 says, They that sow in tears shall... Hallelujah. Romans 8 and 18 says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And finally, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, my little lump of leaven friend, my little mustard seed imbued garden, God is building great things through you. Your weeping is going to turn to joy. Your sufferings are going to give way to glory. Your momentary affliction is going to receive a greater immeasurable weight of glory. The takeaway of this message this morning is simply this. If you looked up, did a little research or Googled Medal of Honor recipients, I had a book that that from the Civil War to present time cataloged all these Medal of Honor recipients and showed pictures of them where they were available and told the stories. So if you were to look up Medal of Honor recipients, you'd be surprised to notice 
that none of them would ever win the role to play themselves in a Hollywood movie. Do you understand what I just said to you? Not a single one of them would ever be chosen by a director to play himself in a Hollywood movie. They would have to get someone bigger, better looking, stronger, more muscles, more dashing, stronger jaw. You know, somebody had more of a military look to them. Because heroes aren't made, they're cornered. It's something in them that comes out when the conditions present themselves. You would be astounded to find out that Medal Honor recipients are the last guys you would ever think were the ones that were going to go into battle and come out, unless they came out posthumously and died, having received the Congressional Medal of Honor. And it's like that in so many things in life. So oftentimes, it's not the biggest, it's not the fastest, it's not the most bright person. Those people that do great humanitarian things in this life, they would never play themselves in a movie about their life because they're not who we're looking for. We look at the outward, but God looks upon the heart. So I'm going to close with this thought. The takeaway of this message is, well, it's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first in your life. The kingdom of God because that's where all the increase and the transformation is taking place. Let the word, the lordship of Jesus, be preeminent in your life. Let it be the thing you cherish above all. And when you're tempted, having looked at yourself or considered your circumstances, to discount yourself or take yourself out of the running, remember this message this morning. The kingdom of God is in you is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Take hold of the kingdom because that's where the growth. You want to grow in life? You want to prevail? You want to overcome? Embrace the kingdom and the overcomer will come forth in your life. Amen. That yeast, hallelujah, will expand and it'll expand you with it. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning.